right, we're continuing through our series in the book of Psalms, and this morning we're going to look at Psalm 73. Psalm 73. You know, sometimes as we journey through life, we'll just hit bumps on the road. And uh, we never know for sure what's coming our way, but I do want to encourage us this morning to take the right path as we hit those bumps. And this morning, we're going to look at a fellow who wrote this psalm, Psalm 73, excuse me, who hit a bump on the road, and it just kind of sent him sideways for a while, and we'll hear his emotions. And of course, as we go through psalms, that's what we've been challenged with. We, we hear the heart of the psalmist. So uh, it's cool. As you look at this psalm, Psalm 73, it begins with God is good, and then it ends with it is good. But in between, things just aren't so good. And uh, we'll look at that this morning. And you know, as we think through this author, his name is Asaph. Asaph. And we maybe don't hear a lot about him, but he, he wrote 11 other psalms beside this one. And some would say, well, he maybe wasn't that great of a follower of God at this time. That's maybe why he got a little troubled and dealt with the emotions he did. But no, really, he was a, a worship leader. He was a, a very committed follower. He was a, a director of the temple choirs. He was a man who, who sought to walk with God. But again, we, we see his emotions here. And because he's human, he was facing discouragement. And as we look at his emotions this morning, we see that what he's dealing with is envy. Envy, the idea of jealousy. And, and envy is defined this way, a desire to have a quality, a possession, or other desirable attribute, <laughs> attribute belonging to someone else. Just wanting what we don't have. And as we look at him this morning, we, we see him in this season of discouragement. If you would, as you're in Psalm 73, jump down and just look at verses 13 through 14. And here is heart here. It says this, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. So we hear his, his troubled heart. We hear him just in a season of low here this morning. So let's look at the problem as we go through this. The problem in verses 1 through 3, it says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. And this is the problem here for him. He says, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he's sharing his heart with us here today, and, he, and we see as this reality takes place, he, he's understanding, of course, he has good, good understanding, God's good. God's good to the Jews. God's good to the Israelites. He's, he's good to those who, who keep their lives on track with him, to those that are pure in heart. Now understand, he, he's already solved his problem that we see in verses in the in the in-between part, but in verse 1 and verse 28, you know, he, he he's at the realization, but but as he's writing this, he, he he's just sharing his struggles and his problems with it, and, and, and yet he gives us a great cure for how we can get through life and how we can get through envies and, and jealousies as we do life. And, and, and of course he tells us, hey, be pure in heart. Have a heart 
that is pure. And Jesus taught us this too. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, as we, as we think of that beatitude of blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And when you're pure in heart, your life is marked by transparency and an unwavering desire to please God in all things. And it's much more than just having external purity or behavior, and it's eternal purity of the soul. You know, your life is marked by, by truth, by counting your blessings, by walking in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. And, and, and that's where uh, we, we are, are challenged with this morning to be pure in heart, to be pure as followers of Christ this morning. David, you know, of course, we, we know a lot about him. He messed up at times, and he, 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 he committed some, some very serious sins. But, but it says in Psalm 51, when he got his heart where it needed to be, it says, God created me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And again, ask God. God, give me a heart that's pure, that, that, that's steadfast in, in your motives of, of serving you. And, and then as, as we look at this and as we get through this, again, be pure in heart, but he shares the problem in his heart in verse 2. As for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. In other words, I see I'm giving up. I'm giving up. And as he looked and, and he evaluates people around him, and as he looks at the environment around him, he turned from the will of God to what others were doing uh, in life that he saw in his circle of influence. He'd almost lost his faith. And there's doubt here. I envied the arrogant. When I see the prosperity of the wicked, you know, they just seem to have it all figured out. They're, they're prideful people, and, and, and this lifestyle that they seem to be living was like, I want some of that. And, you know, maybe we get there at times. I know there's times I get there at times. There's, there's envy that, that, that runs. And, and maybe it's not so much for, for wealth, but it could be envious of, of other people, of other relationships. So you, I, I remember in college, and uh, I, there's this kid named Neil. And Neil would get up, and he'd sing in the chapel service. And, and I used to sit there. I said, man, I wish I could do that. And I'd just sit there, and i said, wouldn't it be cool to go back home and stand up one Sunday morning and just start singing a solo in church. And they say, man, where'd Marburger learn how to sing? And I got envious of that. You know, the kid was smart. He was athletic. He had a nice-looking girlfriend. I fixed him. I stole the girlfriend and married her. Uh, <laughs> I made that part up, but I, I probably uh, I did much better. But the idea that envy that gets in there sometimes, we, we envy things that really— we just need to take what God gives us and let him work through us with our gifts. I'll tell you, I, I, I think back, you know, even my speech class, my first speech was on, it was a persuasive speech. 
And uh, I was to give a speech on some persuading people. So I chose skiing. And I never skied before in my life. My roommate called, hey, do it on skiing. I got these skis here. You can take the props in. So, so I, I, I tried to persuade my speech class to, to ski. And uh, didn't do too good in the speech. In fact, I can remember Dr. Mathis, the professor, he, he'd use my speech in the group around us and say, you know, some of you out there do a speech on skiing. And it's like, man, you talk about it hurting my spirit, you know. And anyway, I tell you that because I just tell you that. Um, <laughs> but uh, I was envious. You know, these pastors that get up, you know, they can just knock out a perfect outline and just take the text and just exposit the text and, and give you the, just put it on the bottom shelf for you. And it's like, you know, but, you know, we just got to take what God gives us and use what God gives us to bring him glory and be careful what we envy. So he goes on and he, he, he explains very specifically the envy here in verses 5 through 16. In fact, he, he, he's real, he just lays it right out for us. He, he sees their prosperity and he, he, he talks about this. He says, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy. They're strong. They're free from common hum, human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. And to him, all he could see was there's just no terror. They they just got it all figured out. Even in death, there's peace. They're free from troubles. Life just seemed perfect for them. And again, he he let his emotions run wild. Because, you know, we we all have struggles. Even the rich. But But he talks about that. And then he goes on and talks about their behavior. And he says, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. You know, that behavior here, they, they, they're proud of being proud. And, and again, his emotions as they win out here, they're, they're, they're taking over his attitudes, and he's want, he wants that. But I'll tell you, pride is nothing that's pleasing to the Lord. And, and there's no room for pride in our life. And God speaks to that. I love some of these thoughts that come up on the screen. Notice Proverbs 6 here. And he lists seven things that God hates. And the one he starts out with is pride. He says, there there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. And he says, haughty eyes. That's pride. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. And again, be careful of these sins, but that top one, that, that pride, that haughtiness that, that comes out of, you know, don't, don't think you've got it all, because you don't. And whatever we do have is, is a gift. And it's a gift from the Lord that we use to please Him. The Lord tears down the house of the proud. Proverbs 15, verse 25. And then, of course, First Peter tells us God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. He goes on in, in verse 7, he says this, the benefits of the wicked. Their, their hearts are callous. From their callous hearts come iniquity. Their evil imaginations, they have no limits. You know, they, to them, to him, they're just full of excess. They're enjoying more than heart could wish. Good health. You know, there's, there's money in the banks, there's influence that counts. And he's at a point where he says, I got to have it. I want that. Um, and, and, and yet, he, he's not 
there yet to where he falls, but he, but he goes on to say in verses 8 and 9, there, there's, there, the, he sees their corruption. He says, they scoff, they speak with malice, with arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. And what, as we look at that, we see that they brag about their evil, their, their arrogance, the, the, the idea that, that there's no fear. In fact, as you look closely at this, they're mocking living a righteous life. And you know, be righteous. Be pure in heart. You know, uh, that, to, the, the scriptures and the truth of being a follower of Christ are still more important than what these wicked are, 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 are living out. And we see this today, too. And then there's corruption that we, well, we just looked at that. And then the, their speech. They, you know, they even talk about it. It says this in verse 10. Therefore, their people turn to them, drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? So, so he, he, he's doubting. Or he, the, the doubt that they're showing him is, hey, God, God doesn't care. God doesn't care if you walk with him is the idea here. Eat, drink, and be merry. Uh, and again, this attitude was destroying Asaph, and, and, and of course we do know that it does matter. And, and, and then there's a rant he goes on. I mean, he, all this is said, and then verses 12 through 16, you know, the, the problem that's caused by this envy, it says, this is what the wicked are like. They're always carefree of care. They, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. Stay with me, verse 14. All day long I've been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. And if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. And when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. And as we think of this, as we think of this idea of envy, this, this jealousy that was, was, was just getting a root in the life of, of Asaph, you know, it gives Satan a foothold. And we need to be careful that we don't let him have a, a foothold in our life, that little crack that gets in there and, and it becomes, you know, a, a wide ravine that get, gets in the way and, and, and it hurts our relationships. And as he, he's at this season, as he's at this season of, of, of hey, I'm giving up, I'm just going to chunk it, he, he, there's a realization here. There's, there's, there's an idea that if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. And, and, and what we hear is hard here is, I don't want to offend, I don't want to hurt the people of God. I don't want to hurt the children of God. And he's saying, I just really can't blurt all this out because, you know, it's going to hurt others. And he's at the end of his rope here because we see it's too painful for me. His confusion is so deep as he expresses his feelings, yet he cannot broadcast it to the world because he says, I would have betrayed your children. And, and, and if we could just, this is a, a huge takeaway to this psalm. Because he's, he's here that, and what I hear him saying is, people are counting on me. 
And people are counting on us, if we're followers of the Lord, to stay faithful, to, to, to stay faithful to our family. You know, th there's friends counting on us. There's, there's grandkids, if you're a grandma or a grandpa, that are counting on you. Some of you maybe have great-grandkids that are counting on you to just stay faithful and to be the, the, the model that God calls you and I to be. And I, and I love this takeaway from this because <laughs> stay with it. Stay faithful to the end. You know, it, it, it's, it's sad because sometimes we see people, they'll, they'll just kind of check out. You get in your 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s, maybe 80s, and you think, you know what? I did that. I was involved in that, and I did my time, so to speak. And I tell you, that's not there. That's not something that, that, that we, can, we can lean into because it, it gets you in trouble. And, and get, get in the game and stay in the game. You know, we're not called to be spectators. The Christian life isn't a spectator sport. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a, a ministry, a mission that we're to be involved in and to be doing what God calls us to do and be faithful. You know, it's cool. We, we have uh, 15 deacons in our church. And Brian and I will talk at different times and we'll say, you know what's cool about our deacon board? We got some old guys and we got some young guys. And you know, there's a, there's a, a meshness. I don't know if that's a word or not, but they mesh, okay? And they, they kind of just fit and, and they work well together. And you got the older teaching the younger and you got the younger that, you know, are, are, are just uh, engaged and, and willing to, to learn. And it's just a, a beautiful picture. And you know, not many churches have that. And it's just something that we can be thankful for. And, and again, my, my, my encouragement here is, hey, stay in the game. And if you're taking a little break, get back in the game. You know, we, we don't need any water boys. Be in the game. Don't be a, don't be a fan. Be a follower. Uh, get in there. I, I love this psalm, Psalm 71. Even when I'm old and gray, you could put when I'm old and bald, don't forsake me, O God. And then he says this, he goes, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Do you get that? Okay, we're here to be faithful to the end and pass it on before we pass on. And as he gives his feelings here, he, he, he's saying, okay, uh, this is what's important to me. And then What's great is he gets his heart right. We, he sees the problem clearly in verses 17 through 28. And, he, and what he does is he returns to the house of God. Look at 17a. It says, till I entered the sanctuary of God. And, and what, I, what I, I take this to mean is he, he, he goes into the presence of God and he, he goes to this place of learning, this place of, of refuge, this, this place of peace. And, and he goes to God, his schoolmaster, and, and, and God, teach me this stuff that I don't understand. And, and he goes after wisdom from beyond himself at the beginning, and he seeks out God here for help. He goes to the house of God. He, he goes to the sanctuary. And because it's at the sanctuary where he can see it all clearly. And then he reconsiders their future in verse 
the last part of 17, verse 20. Look what it says. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. And then he says, how suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors? They're like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. And and again, the, the great thing here, he realizes their final doom. He realized that their brief, fragile lives was no promise for the future, and that they were going to face eternal destruction because of the earthly lives that they lived. And you know, the presence of God is is a helpful place. It's a great place for us to go, to get perspective, to, to see life the way we're to see it, to replace envy, and a desire for those who God puts in our life that maybe need to hear the truth. So he reconsiders their future, and then we see his heart. We see a repentant heart. We see a heart that says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and arrogant, and I was a brute beast before you. And what I take from this two verses is the fact that it's a confession, he, 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 he realized his mind had been occupied with the physical and, and not the eternal. And, and what I hear him saying is, how could I have been so dumb? How could I have walked away from you, Lord? You're what matters. I, I remember uh, several years ago, there's a, I was probably in my early 40s at the time, and I, I was with a fellow who was in his late 50s, and, and we were driving down the road, and he started talking about his life. And uh, the poor guy, he had made some choices that were not good choices, and he, and he walked away from his marriage, and he walked away from his kids, and he walked away from his grandkids, and, and he'd come to a place where he, he was, where David was in Psalm 51, where he was broken over, and he goes, Gary, how could I have been so stupid to make those choices, and now I am paying those consequences for those choices that I've made. And that's where I see Asaph here. He says, how could I have been so dumb to think that way? You know, it's not what is of value for eternity. So again, be careful with where we are when it comes to decisions we make. And we all have issues, I know that. We all have disappointments and hurts. And, and, and there's times where we all maybe have those pity parties. But it's good if, if we could just remember that the sanctuary is there. Seek out some people who you know are going to shoot you straight and give you good wisdom and good advice. And, and when you mess up, you just fess up and never give up. And you know what's cool as we look at this in Atha, he, he regrets that, that he doubted God's moral management of the world. It's basically what he does. And, and, and then I like what he says here. It's kind of funny. He says, I was more dumb than a brute beast. Did you get that in there? And, and I looked at this and I thought about this. And, and the idea when this is mentioned, and it's, the old King James probably uses the word behemoth. And the idea of this is, is you know, he was, and a behemoth was a, a, a reference, I, under, I believe, to, to dinosaurs, to big uh, animals. And, and what, 
what Asaph is saying is, how could I be so dumb as to be like one of those brute beasts, one of those big old animals that, that are, are out there? And I think that's kind of cool that he puts that in there. A heart of repentance. Stay with me on this. There's some references I want to point to you. Uh, a heart of repentance brings back fellowship. In, in Psalm 51, we referenced that earlier. But, it, but look at verse 1 through 4. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my sins, my transgressions. Wash me, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. And I, re I read this to us this morning because it's a prayer of confession. It's a, it's a heart of repentance. And it's important that we, we, we go there. And, and the prodigal son had this same emotion in Luke 15, verse 18, where he says, I, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Again, there's nothing wrong with going to the Lord, going to the sanctuary, and turning into a time of confession into what he's calling us to do. And then Acts 3.19, a great verse. Repent then, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Times of refreshing. Repent, turn to God so that your sins will be wiped out, that the times of refreshing may come from him. And then it's kind of cool that Wes led us in that song because he says in verses 23 through 26, or what we see in verses 23 through 26, he reviews the blessings of God. And, and what's important to remember is that we are thankful people, and we need to be thankful people. Look at verse 23. It says, yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh, my heart, they may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And again, the realization here is, whatever he had to pass through, hey, God's with me. And it's interesting, not because he clung to God, but because God would not let him go. And I love that thought because, you know, God's just going to hold on to us. If we have that relationship with him, he's going to hold us tight. He's going to pull in close. In fact, he says, he holds me by his right hand. You know, there's a closeness. I'll never forget my wife and I, when we met, our first date, we went to the drive-in movie. I promise I didn't kiss her or anything like that. I know we went to drive in. We had, I had an old 71 Buick Skylark, and it was fast. And uh, we had one of those long bench seats. It was vinyl. And uh, you had to roll down the windows. I know some, some students don't know that, but, but we were watch, sitting there watching the movie. And I had an 8-track player in my car. Some of you know what that is, an 8-track player. It wasn't a cassette. This was an 8-track with the four channels, and you'd hit the button, so it was pretty cool how... You go through the buttons, and, 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 and I had about 24 8-tracks in a, car, a case, like, and it sat there in between us, so she started putting her hand out there, and she's like, man, maybe she wants me to hold her hand, 
So I, she kept doing it, and we're getting through the movie, and so I just reached over and grabbed her hand, and mine was all sweaty, and uh, it's like, and she just held that hand there, and, and you know, I felt, man, that feels pretty good. And uh, long story short, we got married. Uh, we just went to the Justice of the Peace that, that evening. No, it was several <laughs> years later. But I tell you that because holding hands, it was like there's security in that. You know, sometimes when she gets scared, she'll, she'll hold my hand. Or when I get scared, I'll just grab her hand, you know. And, it's, and, and there's, a, there's a security in it. And, and you know what's great about hand-holding? God's holding our hand uh, more tightly than any human can hold our hand. Uh, hold hands with God and, and, and realize that, that, that he's going to be there to help us through. And, and, and don't let go. I, I have an interesting illustration here. In Africa, when tribesmen wish to catch a monkey, they put a few tasty treats in a jar with a small opening and stake the jar firmly to the ground. The monkey will come along, discover the nuts in the jar, and he puts his hand in the jar and grabs some nuts in his fist. The monkey's clenched fist is too big to pass through the neck of the jar, but he refuses to let go of the prize. Even when he sees the man coming with the stick, he will not go, let go. And, you know, we can learn a lot from that. You know, we need to let go sometimes and, and, and hold things loosely. Hold our stuff loosely and hold our relationships tight. And, 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 you know, envy can capture us, but, but holding on to truth and holding on to Jesus and his truth and, and going to the sanctuary of God and reviewing our blessings will help us as we get through. So we get to an application, and it says this in verse 27. Those who are far from you, they'll perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. And then he says, but as for me, it's good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of your deeds. And you know, draw near to God. Trust him. Share about him. That's the best way. Let these verses speak to us. Don't let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. And then Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. That sanctuary, it's found in the word of God. It's found in, in prayer and solitude. It's found in, in having godly people in our lives who speak truth, who we grow with. And let's be careful not to be envious of the wicked, Go to the sanctuary of God. Draw near to him, trust him, and love him. Because the world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for truth. Thank you for these psalms that just give us uh, a picture of what people go through. And thank you, God, for the life of Asaph, Lord, who, who shared his emotions, but yet he, he got his heart right to where it needed to be. And as a result, you continued to use him. So God, I pray for each of us here this morning. I know there are some, uh, I believe, some good takeaways from this message, Lord, to, to, to have a, a heart that's pure, to not envy those 
that have maybe what we think are, 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 are things that are better than what we have. Help us trust what you've done and are doing in our life. And Lord, help us count our blessings. Help us realize that, that, that we live blessed lives if we know you. So I just pray for each of us, Lord, as we have this time of reflection. May we, Lord, just uh, realize, Lord, we have so much to be thankful for. So God, lead us. May Psalm 73 be looked at in a way now that we can just hopefully uh, see it in a different light and not envy the arrogant and not fall short of what you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.